series a couple weeks ago, taking a look at forgiveness and grace and forgiveness. And I, I think it's a good video uh, because it, it depicts what I believe happens um, so many times and can happen in our life. Remember a couple weeks ago I said, you know, we're going to use, continue to use the imagery of life being a highway. And as though we're, we're living this life on a destination which is towards God, along the way he's given us rules and guidelines to live by so that we can live in peace and we can live in joy. But inevitably is along the path, we mess up and we inevitably um, conflict our lives or have our lives connect with other people. And we get hurt and other people get hurt. And what I, I like about this video is it shows the duality that, is, that rests within the heart and the mind of man. We see Mr. Walker being uh, compared to Mr. Wheeler or Jekyll and Hyde. And I love this Disney cartoon because it depicts perfectly our blindness to our own vicious selfishness and our own carnality. Especially when you take a look at it, uh, and when you look at our viciousness and our selfishness and our inability to absolutely see that in ourselves. And because we're not able so many times to see our own selfishness, our own sin inside of us, we rarely get a chance to see all the collateral damage of our sin. One of the images of that video that I like the most that I think depicts it the greatest is, is as Mr. Walker or Mr. Wheeler is, is coming into town, uh, he begins to, as he's been in this rat race, he begins to slow down and then he backs up traffic all behind him and he doesn't even seem to care, doesn't even seem to know, doesn't even seem to realize that he's hurting a lot of people. This morning as we take a look at God's word, I want us to be aware that we are people that are not much different than Mr. Walker that we sin. We are people that sin. And we are people that are in deep, deep need of forgiveness. But I also want us to be aware that along the way, there is forgiveness, but along the way, because of our sin, there are consequences. And so we are going to take, I used the video to be kind of light, but we are going to take a very serious topic today. And I pray that through the time uh, that we are here, I want us to be aware of two things. One, the word of God is preaching and his word is true. His word is right. His word is the direct path that he wants us to follow. And sometimes that word is hard to hear. But I also want us to be aware today of the presence of the rain. Do you hear it? In the same way that God's word sometimes is hard for us to hear, he also promises that he's continually and can provide washing over us. And he can continually forgive us of our sins. He can continually make us new. So at the same time, be aware of that today. And let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, help us today as we come under the teaching of your word. Help us to see the truth of your word. Help us not to be ashamed of your word, to be frightened of your word. But Father, help us to see the grace of the mercy, the love, the forgiveness that is also contained in who you are and in your word. So Father, today, allow your word to speak in a way that we will hear, a way that we will listen, and in a way that we will be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning I want us to to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to um, go to the Old Testament again, and we're going to look at the life of 
of David. And through the life of David, as we have been spending a few um, Sunday mornings during our second hour, our time of Bible study, we've been walking through the life of David. And if you've been a part of that study, I know that you've been blessed. Uh, because it is interesting and it's amazing to see how the divine, how God himself interacts and how God cares for his people and how God calls his people to do amazing and, and great things. And so today we're going to look at an episode, a, a period of time in David's life. And we're going to see God's grace and forgiveness in the midst of consequences. God's grace and forgiveness in the midst of consequences. So we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. And the first thing I want us to see as we look at the first six verses of 2 Samuel chapter 12 is that along the path, as, as we're walking with the Lord, as we're seeking to honor the Lord with our life, it is easy for us to become blinded to our own sin. It's, it's easy for us to become blinded to our own sin. Let's, let's look here as we look at David, the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. After he has done a great evil, as we see in verse 14, it says that David has done this great evil. Let's see what takes place. He's become blinded. Verse 1 of chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he had brought it up. And it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. I want us to see here, first, that we can easily become blinded to our own sin. See, God uses this opportunity to bring about a time in which David's sin is going to be uncovered. And he uses Nathan on this, this day to come and help him to see his sin. But as Nathan comes sharing this parable, this story of this poor man and this rich man, we can see absolutely as David is hearing the story of what he has actually just done, in a different way, he's completely blind to seeing his great sin. As he's hearing, he doesn't even make a connection that this story is about him. As we see the tragedy of a rich man who has all things under his feet and in his possession. He has everything that he needs. This rich man looks upon this poor man. And because he doesn't want to give of his own, he takes and he steals from this poor man. You know, the reality is that sin is so very deceptive. Sin in our life is so deceptive that it's not something that just shows up one day where we go from being close to the God to being an enemy of God or a hater of God just overnight. It's not just something that clicks like that. But sin is something that happens slowly. We slowly give ourselves away to sin. And we can see this carrying out in David's life. If we look in verses 9 to 11, we can see his process. Or if you have time later on this afternoon, go back and read chapter 11. And you can see the process of David's slow sin and his path towards sin. 
Verses 9 to 11. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. And you've killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. See, a couple weeks ago we talked about the, the path of sin. That there, as we begin to sin, it begins with a sin and then it moves into a trespass. And then it moves into iniquity. If left unchecked, and we see this in David's life as well, we can see that he began in sin by despising the word of the Lord. His sin began because he despised the word of the Lord. He knew the word of the Lord. The Lord said, this is what I have for you. This is what I've given you. These are the bounds. This is the lane in which I want you to live. And David despised it. Then he moved into a trespass. As one evening, as he was walking among his, above his house, he looked down and saw Bathsheba, and he desired her. So as we see, he took her to be his wife. He took her from Uriah, and in the process, she becomes pregnant. And realizing what David had done, he didn't just stop there. He didn't just violate the marriage of another, he instead continued to say, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to try to cover it up. So he moves from just a trespass into iniquity where he decides that he's going to cover up and he puts Uriah on the front line of the army so that he will be killed by the Ammonites. Now this is crazy. This is ridiculous. Because I was sharing this story with my children earlier this week and I said, well, you know what happened? You know what happened when David, who was doing evil, put uh, Uriah in the front lines of the army? My kids said, well, didn't God step in and save him? Like, yeah, God could have stepped in and saved him, but he didn't. God allowed Uriah to die at the very hand of the enemy of God. Because God had told David was supposed to be on a mission. His mission was to go and to rid the world of these Ammonites. That's what God told him to do. He says, as part of your will, because you are king, you are going to take the army that I've assembled for you, that I've given you, and you're supposed to drive out the Ammonites. And instead, God takes the mission that God has given him, and he twists it so that he can carry out his own plans and to cover up his own sin. Brothers and sisters, what we need to be aware of this morning is what may seem insignificant in your life. Your mini sin, your small sin, your small violation of the commands of God, if left unchecked, can lead you to slowly, slowly give yourself away to that sin so that it ends up Totally destructing, destroying you personally. Totally destroying your family and bringing your family into dysfunction. And totally bringing a great distance between you and God. Be aware of that this morning. What's even more crazy is we look at this. We see even though David had become blind to his own sin he was still able to see the injustice of sin in others. Look at the end of that. As he hears the story, David then was greatly angered and he was kindled against this man. And he says, as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die for he has done an evil thing. Oh, it's so easy for us to see sin in others' lives. But it's not easy sometimes to see it in our own. 
justice demands that offenses be dealt with, that sin be dealt with. And David knew it. David knew that this man, because of his sin, deserved death because he had hurt, he had violated God's rules and he had hurt others and there was need for restitution. Oh, it's so easy to become blind to our own sin. But here's the beauty of our God. God has great love for us and he cares so much that he will do what he will do to expose our sins. So that's the second thing we need to see here. It's easy to become blinded, but when we become blinded, we know because God is good that our sin will be exposed. Look at me in verse 7. So then Nathan says to David, as he's got him in the right place, ready to hear, he says, you are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would have add, add to you as much more. You see, God, in his love for us and his care for us, will not allow us to remain in sin forever. He will bring it to light. And in the process of bringing it to light, there is this, this mystery to the discipline of God, the love of God and the discipline of God. We know because the book of Hebrews tells us that God loves, God disciplines those whom he loves. And so in this process of exposing and in this process of discipline, God cares and God loves and it comes from a place that is pure. And Nathan the prophet of God comes and exposes to David what he has done. Let us be reminded in that, that though our parents may not see what it is that we do, though your spouse may not see what it is that you do, though your children may not see what it is that you do, though your boss or your teacher or the police officer may not see exactly what it is that you do, know that there is a God who does. God sees all. He knows the depravity of our heart. He knows the bentness of our hearts towards evil. And he sees it and he knows. And in his seeing and in his knowing, he is offended. He is offended by our acts of sin. Look at his offense here. Look at how the, the sin of David has offended God. God says to David, in verse seven, the second part of seven, I've anointed you king. Like, I have put you in a place of honor. There is no one above you except me, he says to David. So I've put you in this place. I've anointed you king. I've delivered you from Saul. I've given you your master's house. I've given you his wives. I've put you over the house of Israel, both Israel and Judah. And I would have given you much more. But instead, you have despised the word of the Lord. And in doing so, what David was saying with his heart and with his life, he was turning to God and saying, God, your words are not good. 
the provisions that you've given me are not good and they're not enough. I need more. And so his turning to God, saying, God, your words are not good. Your provisions are not good, turned into adultery. And that adultery gave birth to murder. Oh, we in much the same way. God in his caring love for us will expose our sin. He'll expose it in little ways. He'll expose it in big ways. But we know that as David had Nathan, the prophet of God, there was the voice of God to come to David and say, David, you're going down the wrong path. You're doing the wrong thing. Turn, turn back unto the Lord and his, let his face shine on you. God blesses us with, with types of Davids or types of Nathans in our lives because he puts us in the place of a church. He puts us in the church so that we have a community of believers that have an opportunity to look at our lives and to see the paths that we're walking down that displease God. And he encourages our brothers and sisters to say, hey, you're going the wrong way. Let me help you. But not only does God give us the church, God has given us something even greater in that he's given us his Holy Spirit. For when we come to know Christ, when we come to believe and place faith in the work of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. And one of the powers and one of the, 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 the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to direct us and to convict us of sin, to allow us to know when we err, when we trespass, when we move beyond the bounds of what God desires. But when it is exposed... It has to be dealt with. Sin always, 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 always has to be dealt with. There is no sin that can just be covered up. There is no sin that can just go away. Because if you do that, then the God of the universe becomes unjust. Sin must be dealt with. But I want us to see is that's the weight of this message. I want us to see. Forgiveness can be extended. That there is a way to experience forgiveness. Look with me in verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, these are beautiful words. The Lord has put away your sin and you shall not die. So to fully, fully experience forgiveness, we come, must come to the place where we confess our true sin. We must come to the place where we go before God, the one whom we have offended the most in the greatest and most erroneous way. We come to him and say, God, I have sinned. But the challenge is sometimes when we come to God and we, we want to confess, we want him to, we want to receive this forgiveness, sometimes we go to him and we're, our minds are so twisted, our path is so deranged that we forget and we don't know exactly what sin it is that we should come and confess. You see, normally we come to this passage and we say, man, David needed to go to the Lord and say, man, I'm a murderer. God, forgive me for being a murderer. God, forgive me for being an adulterer. God, forgive me for stealing. God, forgive me for all these things. And those things need to be confessed. But the true sin, the root of David's sin is much greater because David understands this in his confession. 
Look at his confessions. He doesn't say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done to Uriah, or Lord, forgive me for what I've done to Bathsheba. He says in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. David in Psalm chapter 51 verse 4 explains this a little bit more. As we go to Psalm 51, Psalm 51 was written by David in response to what he, his sin. And he says this, he says against you, he's talking to God, against you and you alone have I sinned and done evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You see, David truly understood that even though he had these byproduct sin and his sin had all of this collateral damage along with it, his sin alone was unto God. That's where he went wrong in the first place. His sin was to look at God and to say your words and your provision are not good. That was his sin. And when he turned, when he went to God and said, your words are not good, your provisions are not enough, and he turned from that and began to walk in this other way, that's when all this other stuff started happening. But his sin, his collateral sin was against people, but his initial sin, the root of his sin was against God. You see, when our sin becomes exposed, when we become become aware of how far we've come, it is imperative that we come back to the Lord. And allow him to spend time, allow his word and the spirit to wash over us and to identify the root of our sin. Because it is the root of our sin that needs to be confessed, not just the fruit. You see, what happens is we go around our lives just continually confessing the fruit of our sin. We're not killing the root. This is why people sometimes, they struggle with specific sins. Maybe like pornography or, or they're, they're struggling with angry outbursts or they have addictions or they're, they're, they lie, they cheat, they gossip, they commit adultery, they steal, they murder. Those are all fruits of sin. Those are not the root of sin. And so if you go around your whole life continually saying, confessing just those, you're not getting to the root. That's why people continue in paths of sin. Because they're not spending time going back to the root. When we sin, when we find ourselves, when God in his love for us has said, you have failed. Let us run to him, not as though he's an angry God, as though he is a hard God, but a God that cares and loves us. Because he said, this is how you failed. We come to him and then we say, God, show me the error of my way. And if we track that back to the root, More times than not, I believe the root of our sin is the same root that was at David's place. Somewhere along the way, we've looked at God and we've said, God, your words are not good or your provision is not good enough. And if we go back there and we say, God, forgive me of that, then the Lord allows forgiveness to flow. Forgiveness that is experienced in verse 13. We see that it says, The Lord has put away your sin. Now that the root is killed, your sin is put away and it's remembered no more. 
It's as though you've never sinned. When you come to the Lord and you say, God, forgive me for my sin, it is as though you have never sinned. In God's eyes, you are perfect. You are spotless. You are white. And we see the grace of God showing up because it says, though David knew he deserved death, for the penalty of sin is always the taking of life. He has the promise that he will not die. Two weeks ago, we talked about that our forgiveness, our ability to be forgiven for all that we've done, all that we're doing, and all that we will do is only found in Christ alone. That Christ is the one that came to live the life that we couldn't and died the death that we deserve. And our, our lives must come to the point where we look at Christ and we say, Christ, be the Lord, the center, the, the all-encompassing being of my life. For I am a sinful person, I messed it up, and I need you. And when we come to that, we see that the Lord forgives us. And grace can be found, forgiveness can be found, restoration with our relationship with the Holy God can be restored. So there is forgiveness. God is a God that can forgive. But I also want us to see, and this is hard, that we can still experience grace in the consequences that follow our sin. Though our sins are forgiven, there are consequences of our sin that we must continue to live with, but we live with it not by ourselves. We live in it through experience and walking in grace with God. You see, even though David or God forgave David's sin, there were still consequences. There were still repercussions of his sin because he had lived his life, and much like Mr. Wheeler as he's driving down the road, he had hurt a lot of people. And there are consequences. All of those people that Mr. Wheeler hurt have to go get their cars fixed at the auto body shop. So there are consequences. Even though he could be forgiven, God could say, hey, you're done. It's, it's over with. There's still collateral damage that needs to be dealt with. And we can see here that David still experiences those consequences. He experienced the consequences in, in three levels of his life. First, we can see he, he experienced consequences in the public area of his life or his professional life is is another way of saying it look at me in verse 12 for what you did in secret but i will do this thing before all israel and before the sun you see david's sin and the consequences of his sin were going to be exposed to the world you see david had a very special place in the position of God's people. He was the king. He was in a a position of authority over the people of God. And God had a responsibility and continually has a responsibility to maintain his character because he is God. And so in, in his responsibility to maintain his character, God had to show that even though there is the king, there is a king over Israel, there was one that was even above that. And for God to not allow there to be consequences because of David's sin would to be totally destroy the character of God. And so David's sin was going to be exposed and also the consequences of it were going to be seen publicly. So in our lives when we sin, there will be times where there will be public consequences. 
or even professional consequences. But then we also see that there are also private consequences or family consequences. Look at me in verse 10. Now, therefore, the the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Then look on down to verse 14, another consequence. The child that was conceived in this sin will die. The repercussions of our sin can impact our family, as it impacted David's family. For if we read through and we track through the, the life of David and his, and his children, we can see that there was men, much, much turmoil. There was much, much death. There was much destruction. And the impact of his sin impacted his family. You see, our sin impacts those whom we love the most. Not only are there public and private consequences, we also see that there are personal consequences. Look at me in verse 11. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise up evil against you out of your house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the the sight of this son. I don't know about you, that to me would cut me to my core. I mean, how much pain is there in that consequence? How much is there pain in the consequence of losing a child? I mean, the consequences of our sin are so destructive, so painful, and so hurtful. And some take the consequences of our sin and we turn back to God and say, God, because of this, you are not good. And we blame God as though he is at fault for what we've done. That's not the heart of David. David experienced the closeness and the harshness of these consequences, but he also, because he was contrite, because he turned to the Lord, And because he confessed his sin and said, Lord, I have messed up, we know that the Lord was with him as he endured these consequences. The Lord never left David, nor did he forsake David, but he walked with him. And that is the blessing of God. See, I I shared it earlier, and I don't read the the, the passage to you, but there's a mystery in the consequences uh, and, and the grace of God, how they come together. It's a total mystery to me. I don't understand it. But the writer of Hebrews says this, and listen to this, and allow these words to wash over us. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you in this discipline. He's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are all illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best for them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness." 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, and listen to this, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Oh, if you're walking through the consequences and the discipline of the Lord, let Hebrews chapter 12, 6 through 7 be a place that brings you to a place of peace. Knowing that you have a loving God that cares for you, cares for your holiness, cares for your character, cares for you so much that he wants to direct you and lovingly bring you in and show you the way and mold you and shape you so that you can be more into his image. Oh, that's painful. But I'd rather go through the pain and on the other side be closer and more like Christ than for him to turn his back on me and not care for me at all. I love this passage because it gives us a real life image so that we can kind of see how God acts. The the father and children, the discipline that is there. He gives us a great earthly example that I love. As a father, I understand this. As a father, I understand this because I have children. And in my, my love for my children, I want to protect them. And I know that there are things in my house, as they were young children, I know there are things in my house that can hurt them. And so what I do is I see a little child, one of my little children, toddling up to a table that's full of a a glass vase or something like that. What do I tell them to do? See a toddler running up, or or I see a toddler coming up to an electric socket, wanting to stick their finger in it. What do I do? I jump in and say, no, don't touch. Don't touch. And I lovingly scoop them up and and I move them away. See, those are my words. My words to my children are, don't touch. And if they obey, then they know and they're saying that my words are good. But then when they turn themselves back around and the appeal of the electrical outlet is too great for them, they go back to it. And me being a loving father, I see that. Hopefully I get there in time. And I go and I scoop them up and I say, don't touch. And instead, I give them something else to, to occupy their time. So I pick them up, I put a little thing in the, a little cover in the electrical outlet, and I move them in a different way, and I set them down, and I give them something else to do. So I give them a provision. But guess what happens sometimes? That provision and that word is not enough. So what do they do? They go back, and instead, they see now, well, now there's another obstacle inside of me, in in front of me, so I'm going to pull that thing out, and I'm going to go stick my finger in, and then a loving dad that I am, I see them, and I go, and I scoop them up, and guess what I do? I correct them. I slap their hand, and I say, don't touch, and then that's when the tears come, right? When my dad has turned to me the tears come because of the correction that has come alongside that. It's painful. It hurts. But I'll tell you, it comes from a place of love. And then when my, when my children look at me and they're crying and they're like, they can't say it because they're still babies, but you know they're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What do you do? As a loving dad, you embrace them. And you say, I, I love you so much. I love you. And I know you're in pain right now. I know it hurts, but I love you. And I'm going to walk with you through this consequence. I'm going to be there holding you because I'm your dad. I'm not going to leave you. But I know what's best for you. I don't want you to go down a path that's going to hurt you. I don't want you to go down a path that's going to take your life. 
because I love you and I'm your dad. Maybe you're here today and you're somewhere in this process. Maybe you're sinning and you, you know it, but you don't think anyone else does. I want to remind you that God sees it, he knows. And come to him this morning in your time, just say, God, you revealed this to me. I know I've sinned. I confess it. But try not to, to just confess the fruit, but go back to the root and say, God, this is where I failed. Or maybe you're here today and you have failed and you know it. You've gone to God. You've done what you've needed to do. you said, God, I've confessed. I know I've failed. Please forgive me. And he's provided forgiveness. But you're living in the consequences of that sin. Let me encourage you to allow God to love on you. Allow God to allow his mercy and his grace and his discipline to bring about the righteousness and the fruit that you truly, truly desire. For he is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I thank you for the rain. Some of us here today, Father, just need your rain to wash over us and to forgive us of our sin. For we feel it. We feel its shame. We feel its pain. And we just need you to allow us to feel the forgiveness. So do that this morning. But Father, we also are aware as we walk through sometimes the discipline, it hurts. And I pray, God, that this morning we would feel your love. We would feel your hug. We would feel you walking closely with us. And when we cannot lift our own heads, may we feel that you are lifting our heads for us. When we feel that we cannot take another step, we pray, God, that you would come alongside us and you would allow us to feel you lifting us up. But, Father, I also just pray that you'd help each one of us to come to the place where we submit to your process of perfection. Allow us to submit to you our eyes, our minds, our hearts, our wills, everything about us so that you may mature us in holiness. In Jesus' name we pray.